Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and squirrels, welcome to the only podcast on planet Goddamn Earth where we pick anything and everything to face off in an eight-subject bracket elimination tournament. This is Elite Eight Showdown, and I ain't saying that I am a gold digger, but I am your host, Big Chuck, and I am joined once again by my comrade, my cohort, my co-conspirator, and most importantly, my co-host, Tim, the Tim France. France. Tim, a little rough on the intro there, but how you doing, buddy? Uh, doing okay, man. I think we'll I think we'll move past it. I think we'll, you know, there's a lot of energy in this show to overcome that awful awful intro that Yeah, you know, I, I'll be totally honest. I forgot that I changed uh the part that I was going to say, so the part where I was about to say the thing uh was different than what I wanted to say. So I mean, it threw me off. Yeah, I think it's really we'll behind the curtain there for you. It's really positive, I feel like, that we are on the professional casual network and not just the professional or the professional super serious network. And that, you know, we have some of this wiggle room to be able to just completely fudge up an intro like that so bad. The worst I think I've ever heard. I'll be honest, it wasn't great. But that's all right. Uh, and dare I say, Tim, you are the Tim Franciest Tim France that I know. Um. I appreciate that. I'm normally ranked second or third, um, so I really appreciate you putting me in the top spot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you beat that Timothy, that's for sure. Oh, he's a dick. <laughs> he is a piece of shit. Just gloats let's the move whole time. On. Oh, you are absolutely, you know what? Uh, let's get the plugs right out of the way. You can follow uh, the channel, the network, uh, at Twitter at Top Tier Casual. You can follow the gram uh, or follow us on the gram. Uh, we are going to make it through this episode, folks, mm. at The Professional Casual. Of course, visit our website, www.professionalcasual.com. You can find us at Facebook at The Professional Casual. And most importantly, give us some money. Help support our channel, network, and everything in between over at Patreon at patreon.com slash professional casual to get amazing bonus content and additional shows coming very soon Tim. yeah actually by the time this is up i would assume that bonus content episodes will already be freely not just leaking but actually flowing oh i do like a good leak and flow i mean am i right yeah tim tim uh yes the security the security is telling me uh Betty White is not fucking waiting tonight. We, uh, she is already in the ring. I guess we have to go down to the Elite Eight Showdown Backyard Deathmatch Championship Arena, a.k.a. the Backyard. Uh, she is already in the ring. Tim, she is America's grandma, known to her victims as the Oak Park, Illinois murderer. <laughs> she is Golden Girls era Betty White. In movie replica quality cosplay armor. More importantly, our first champion. Of the Backyard Deathmatch Championship. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like she has pulled a full Ric Flair new match, new armor. Tim, she is sporting. I am not. Is that my correct? That's the Iron Man 2 suitcase armor? Yeah, the briefcase armor it is. The weakest Iron Man movie, but one of the strongest cosplays. You are absolutely right. She looks, frankly, bloodthirsty. Very much like how uh, Mickey Rourke looked uh, in that movie, probably from lack of drugs. Yeah, yeah. I think when when you're under the Marvel banner, you got to be clean, um, and that slightly makes Mickey Rourke's face look a little bit more melted than normal. Um, he is a man made of wax, that is for sure. But let me tell you, Tim, I went and some people are saying it's a softball. 
for her first defense ever, but I would disagree. And I'll tell you why. He is Gotham's biggest regret. The lead singer of 30 Seconds to Mars, known to his victim as Bartholomew Cummins. Mm. Yep, yep. He is the Dallas Buyer Club's own Gerard. He might as well keep laughing because he's going to get booed no matter what. Leto, Jared Leto, stepping into the arena. The pallets, uh, from my understanding, uh, the pallets have been lit on fire, Tim. We have 47 and a half light tubes. Betty White apparently already started smashing them over her head. I believe the title and the fame might be uh, getting to her just a little bit. Uh, we have tires. We have, of course, all the folding chairs that weren't used. And most importantly, the big spinning wheel from Pat Sajak is still out there. I think I think the big important thing here for Betty White is that we made a pretty major mistake in letting her know that we were using a past version of herself and her current present version of herself is, is currently still alive. So she knows she's got another 30 to 40 to potentially 50 years left, and she is fighting in a death match, Chuck. She understands that if she has 50 years of life left, probably not going to die in a death match. I think, I think it's getting to her head, bud. I think you're, I think you're absolutely correct. I, I had a talk with her earlier, just, just to see how, you know, our champ was feeling. If she thought she could do press, she said, quote, get your little bitch ass out of my face before I do to you what I did to Pat Sajak. Wow. I'm the owner of the company, Tim. Is she saying that to her boss, which means Jared Leto could be in trouble today however Tim, he does come with a little bit of skill he was an urban legend uh, so there's a possibility that he did pick up a few things on how to murder people right of course urban legend one of my favorite uh and i would dare say underrated forms it could be because jared leto was in it and everybody thought it was awful mm. yeah i have no frame and of reference also, for, for that i'm sorry <laughs> well did you ever see uh, urban legend no is that is that a, a movie it is a movie where the killer is killing everyone chins. they oh. stick a dog in the microwave moving on tim he also was in fight club what i don't remember this i don't either all. i believe now i did go back and look he's the guy with the blonde hair was he robert paulson I think. yeah he's the guy who puts the rubber band on the mayor or the political guy's nuts i believe Oh, okay. I, be I believe. I, I definitely remember the shot, uh, like the long, wide shot of them walking down the hallway and him walking like he had done anything of importance. And realistically, all he has been doing is walking. Mm. Yeah. That sounds like a Jared now, Leto Tim, move. It sounds like a Jared Leto move. Tim, he is the fucking Joker. Now, see, here's the one thing I want to interject here is that if Jared Leto can kill Betty White like he killed his own movie career in Suicide Squad, but I think he's yep. got a good chance. I think he's got a very good chance. Uh, he did, I didn't know this, he actually did tattoo himself with all those shitty tattoos. Really? Yes, uh, looking at him now, unless he paid some type of, unless he's already spending that championship purse before he gets it, but me looking at him right now, it looks like he has all of those shitty tattoos. That's I, I appreciate the commitment. Frankly, I'm not going to reimburse him for that. So, mm -hmm. uh, Jared Leto, I kind of hope you die. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I did. He all, he was willing to just Tim. I'll be honest. He was at the dumpster. He was digging through it looking for food. I kind of felt bad, so I said, "Yeah, why don't you come in as Betty White's uh, first opponent?" 
maybe wasn't the best idea I ever had. Right. I think yeah. it might, whether that's what Jared Leto does in his actual life or whether that's what Jared Leto does to prepare in a method acting way to play himself in his own biopic, I think it's, it's one of the same. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. But Tim, we have to, we have to determine a winner. If Jared Leto is going to win this, I feel like he does have to go for Joker, ripping his own teeth out as like a comical mouth clappy bomb thing, strapping some dynamite to it, throwing it in Betty White's face and blowing her face up. If Betty White is going to win this, of course she is going to go with the Betty White knuckle duster. A straight kick to the dick, followed by all, she said, quote, all 47 light tubes directly into his eyeballs and then slitting his throat with the half one. When she said that, I peed myself a little and left the room. Hmm. Chuck, I, I gotta say, I think I think this is a weak matchup, because, I mean, Betty White, there's, there's literally zero chance Jared Leto is going to even be awake and present enough to understand that he's in a death match with Betty White while wearing movie-quality uh, replica Iron Man 2 briefcase armor. Uh, Tim, you're absolutely right, and it looks like Jared Leto, not even aware, just got kicked directly into the dick and proceeds to have, yep, all 47 light tubes shoved directly into his eyes, and slit his throat. He's dead. All right, can we just get a quick cleanup? Uh, make sure that Betty White gets paid a little extra because she said, quote, if I don't, I'm going to use you as a weapon and beat the shit out of Tim France. Hmm. Tim, I don't want to be used as a weapon. No, I don't want you to be used upon a weapon up on me. Yeah, uh, I think we may have made a mistake when we hired Golden Girls era Betty White in movie replica cosplay Iron Man armor. At this point, it's not a question of who or what or why could stop Betty White, but we need someone to figure that out and to also let us know because this, this is turning into an issue. Why don't you guys go ahead and tag us on Twitter and Instagram of who you think might be able to stop the death machine that is Golden Girls era Betty White in Marvel movie replica cosplay Iron Man armor. She said, quote, if I actually do fuck that up, I better watch my nuts. So, Tim, I will be watching my nuts. Yeah, I'll be watching them with you. Uh, you know what? That's that's why I keep you around. That's why you're my co-host. That's, I was so Jared's dead, Jared Leto's dead, limp body is getting dragged away, Tim. Uh, I've been told that the crowd, completely more in shock than anything, um, but appreciates Betty White. And, of course, they, they praise her and give her a, a successful title defense, Tim. But the crowd wants to go into the main event arena. Shall we move on, Tim, to the main event? Yes. I Now, I know when I told you this topic, you, dare I say, got a tickle in your swimsuit area. I did. I, yeah, absolutely yep. half chubbing it once once I heard what you said, bud. <laughs> Excellent. You know what? If I can't get you sporting a half chub at least at all times, we're going to need a sponsor, and that sponsor is Blue Chew. Unfortunately, we don't have that yet, <laughs> so I can't plug them. Blue, Blue Chew. Chew. Feel free to reach out to us, up. Blue Chew. Yeah, Blue Chew, because, Tim, I also heard that in dire excitement, you also may have pooped yourself a little. Dude Wipes, hit us up. We need some sponsorships because we're going to also need you to help us clean the blood up of Betty White's victims, apparently. Dude Wipes, not a sponsor, but we'd love to have you. Tim, today's topic for the main event here at Elite Eight Showdown, I changed it just a little bit, Tim. We're going to go ahead and do cult classic 
N64 game. Oh. Now, the reason being, yeah, the reason being that I decided to do Cult Classic, I was doing the, uh, like, normal N64 games, and I realized it was probably going to come down to one. I didn't think it was going to be that interesting. So I decided, let's do a Cult Classic, maybe some lesser popular titles that people aren't aware of. This winner will advance to the next bracket, that next bracket being the GOAT N64 game. I mean, that's exciting. We're talking about an underdog, a cult classic, something that uh, someone's either played a lot or have never heard of, being able to reach the upper echelons of the Nintendo 64 library. That's exciting, Chuck. That's not a small task, and that's not a small reward. It is not, and frankly, I I am sporting a half chub just thinking about it right now. Tim, let's get right into it. All right. Introducing our first bracket now. Tim, uh... You may not know this. Please don't look at the uh, financial reports, but I have spent literally your entire paycheck uh, for the month, uh, your your monthly financials, uh, on the ridiculously expensive Elite Eight Showdown Randomizer 5000 to randomize these eight contestants for me because I didn't feel like seeding them really would have worked in this instance. Um, I'm, so a Tim, little, I'm a little upset at that. Chuck, uh, Chuck, Chuck, Charles. Uh, oh, 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 okay, Mom. I feel like, why would you not go with the 6500? Uh, they're the same price, it has more features, and there's heavy discounts for it. You could have saved us both money, and you could have brought the entire quality of our random selection to another level. Not only does it make it random, it then makes them random a second time to really just, you know, roll the dice. Uh, because, because, Tim, the ridiculously expensive... Elite Eight Showdown Randomizer 5000 was made in America, and I like to support our country, Tim, you communist. All right, let's get right into <laughs> it. Bracket number one, Tim, we have. Now, I was surprised when I put this on the list, but I didn't, because I remember this game uh, also getting a PlayStation release. However, the PlayStation release tanked so bad that it actually doesn't count. Mm. Yeah. Go figure, not really sure why, but it is the South Park game. Oh. Based, of course, on the American uh, adult animated sitcom of the same name. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I have more information. Would you like me to read it to you? The game was developed <laughs> by uh, <laughs> by Iguana Entertainment and published by Acclaim Entertainment for Nintendo 64 in 1988, for North America in 99 in Europe. It was later ported over to Microsoft Windows and PlayStation. However, it did tank. They did the port because of the movie. Uh, of course, South Park, bigger, longer, and cut. Mm. You know, Tim, a funny, fun little information thing here for you. They made a Game Boy Color version. Really? Yep. By Crawfish Interactive. It was in development, but then was canceled because Matt Stone and Ray Park said, yeah, that's for kids. Let's not do that. That's fair. All right. Yep. Yeah, there are a few copies, and they, I guess, have them all. They have all the copies that ever existed of the game. Uh, it also was released for a, or there was a Sega Dreamcast version planned for release, but it was canceled, and there was no possibility of it coming back. Tim, do you remember the South Park uh, N64 game? It was a first-person shooter, if I remember. Yeah, yeah it was. I do. I, I, I remember it quite vividly. Our local rental place, uh, I called probably every 20 minutes to seeing if the person who had rented it had returned it so I could rent it. That game was pretty good. 
Uh, you had regular snowballs. You had yellow snowballs. You had a yep. special alien device that could make people uh, sing show tunes. It, that was a great game. That was a great game. Probably the best South Park game that would come out until the more recent uh, to the, the Fractured Butthole and the Stick of Truth. Pretty much any other South Park game that came out between those two and, and this one was garbage. I don't even remember there being any other games. Were there other games? There was. There was a racing game. There was um, there was another like supposed to be kind of a, a first-person shooter style game. Uh, they all tanked, and that's why they stopped making South Park games altogether because Matt and Trey were like, we're never going to make a game again unless we get full creative rights. And they didn't until uh, The Stick of Truth. Huh. The more you know, hit that rainbow. Uh, Reading Rainbow and PPS, if you'd like to give us a sponsorship, we'd really appreciate that. Um, To be honest, Tim, so let me tell you my story history with the N64. Okay. I did not get a N64 until uh, the, like, last financial quarter that it was available until the GameCube came out. So I was pretty late to the party. Hmm. I used to play, uh, I used to go over to my friends' houses and play it. Uh, at their house, but more importantly, Tim, I pretty much just sat there and watched them play it because I actually wasn't allowed to play. I didn't want they didn't want me to quote unquote fuck up their uh, game because I would suck so bad because I didn't know how to play it that I would have ruined their progress. Wow, Tim, I have remembered these people. I have remembered their names, and I will be feeding them to Betty White. <laughs> Can I ask you a question? It's kind of a personal question. Absolutely. Because yep, you absolutely. got the Nintendo 64 so late in its cycle, did yep. you get one of the special colored versions when they came out with like 16 different colors? Uh, no, I did not, Tim. I got a refurbished one. Ooh, okay. Yeah, because uh, my mom was poor, and I had been asking for an N64 for like two years at that point, mm-hmm. and she finally got me one, and it was refurbished. It did, however, already come with the expansion pack that you had to buy that was, like, red or whatever yeah. that was installed directly. Like, what was the point of that? It increased, I never knew. It increased the the processing power in the RAM. So it was like Front the 32X drive ish. that you could plug into the Sega Genesis, or there was a couple other consoles that had things like it. But, yeah, it was supposed to make things bigger, cooler, and better, and you couldn't play certain games without it, like Scars which was a, a game based on, like, Hot Wheels cars that were modeled after animals. If you unplugged it, you could tell literally no difference between having it in or not. But my understanding is that it was required for certain games. Huh. Way to go, Nintendo. So I, I do remember playing South Park. I remember I remember that my friend, who uh, we'll call him Michael Cole, because that was his name, we uh, would go over to his house a lot. He also introduced me to Doom, and it was the, I threw up all literally all over his computer watching him play Doom because I get motion sickness, apparently. But he also uh, had a copy of this game, and he was actually not allowed to play it. It was his brother's copy, and his mom didn't want him playing it. So we, like a bunch of boys who just found a uh, Playboy, were hiding in his room, in his brother's room with the door closed, and we had to be as quiet as possible. So we played with no sound on. <laughs> so his mom had no idea that we were in there playing it. It was wild. Wild time. But Tim, South Park's competitor, a, I would argue, did it better, but just not well as known. Diddy Kong Racing. Ooh. It was released in, yeah, it was released on November 21st, 1997 in Europe, and then on the 24th in North America. Not really sure why. 
The game is set on uh, Timbers Island and revolves around the Diddy Kong uh, revolves around Diddy Kong and his friends in an attempt to defeat an intergalactic antagonist known as Wizpig. Oh, the Wizard Pig. Yes, the Wizard Pig, the Wizarding Pig named Wizpig. Gotcha. His name apparently was Wizpig. Yeah. yeah, Tim, I spent no expense uh, having my research team go and find this information. So yeah, it was Wizpig. Gotcha. I mean, that's that's yeah. not something you want to mess around with. You know what I mean? The name of the wizard pig in Diddy Kong Racing 64. It, you're you're absolutely right. Now, a, of course, Diddy Kong... Yeah. I have a question. Was it Diddy Kong Racing yep. or was it Diddy Kong Racing 64? Uh, they just call it Diddy Kong Racing. Okay. That's probably right. Yeah, it was. Uh, so you'll see, we'll be seeing this a lot. It was published by Rare for N64. Diddy Kong Racing... Diddy Kong Racing was only first on the N64. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't think there was like a Diddy Kong or NES or Super NES. At least that's not what the retur- research team <laughs> said or the retard. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. Because they don't have that information. Research teams, you're all fired. <laughs> See, Tim? I gave them one. Okay. So uh, famously in Diddy Kong Racing, you could have a car, a hovercraft, or an aeroplane. Yeah. Which switched it up from Mario Kart, where Mario Kart was only cars. Arguably, though... I would argue Mario that Kart, Mario Kart had carts and not cars. You make a fair point. I did not actually think about that. Damn. I mean, let's try to be a little bit more professional about this. Okay, research team, you guys are back, because I need somebody to proofread all this for me. It was in development uh, in the... Uh, the game was in development right after the release of Killer Instinct 2. I do remember Killer Instinct 2. Yeah. Uh, I played that at the arcade a lot. Great time. It was originally intended to be a real-time strategy game known as Wild Cartoon Kingdom in its early stages. Hmm. As time progressed, Tim, focus of development of development shifted from Walt Disney World-influenced racing game to a more unique title known named Pro-Am 64. Now, this I found really interesting. A real-time strategy game known as Wild Cartoon Kingdom. Does that not sound like it was the laying the groundwork for Kingdom Hearts? Yeah, actually, it kind of like, does. Yeah, kind of, because then they because then it mentions the focus was developed uh, shifted from a Walt Disney influenced racing game to a more unique title known as Pro Am sixty four, in which, uh, ironically, Nintendo had no development or involvement in. Due to the delays of Banjo Kazooie, Rare felt that it needed a stronger intellectual property to attach to a white for a wider audience of the game. For a game scheduled for release before Christmas 2007, thus the decision was to base the game off the Diddy Kong character. Now, so it kind of sounds like this game almost didn't make it into production several times. Yeah, I feel too for Nintendo in the Nintendo 64 days. This this was a common problem. They had a game, but they just needed to put some licensing on it, and it ended up either turning into a great game or an awful game. Super Smash Brothers started out the same way. They had a fighter. It was called like Dragon Style Knights or something like that. And they were like, this is really good. This is really innovative. Why don't we put Nintendo characters in there instead? And one of the greatest games ever created was born. And it sounds like the same story here. They had a game. They went through a couple different, you know, coats of paint on it, putting different characters in, and then ended up with uh, Diddy Kong. Yeah. So I like, and it's super weird because like it, from the sounds of this, it sounds like, yeah, let's just find something. And Diddy Kong Racing was, like, it was it was arguably better than Mario Kart, in my opinion. Because it, it added that, like, the flying aspect, the hovercraft, 
Which the hovercraft I remember just being wasn't that boat? Yeah, Weren't that was boats? it was for yeah, yep, it was for on water. Right, okay. So they had like the whole boat theme. The maps were I think much more detailed and advanced than Mario Kart's kind of just like circuit racing. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more like uh, hide hideouts and hideaways that you can zip off to and uh, alternate routes. Diddy Kong Racing doesn't get, in my opinion, kind of the dark horse here. It doesn't get enough credit because it also, I believe, introduced the um, the idea that Mario Kart needed to add more vehicles. Yeah, Mario Kart wouldn't add the other terrain types for two console generations? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's like insanity. Now, I remember sitting in my best, friend, my best friend's basement and playing Diddy Kong Racing a lot. I was super into this game. I liked it better than Mario Kart, personally. Overall... I think I, I don't know. I think it was I think it was a great game. It was also gave them reason to use the characters that they introduced in uh, Donkey Kong sixty four that didn't have any uh, use really. Right. Um, so they were able to kind of cash in on that as well. Diddy Kong Racing versus South Park. Tim, what you got? Because this is cult classics, this is actually a pretty easy one for me. Diddy Kong Racing was certainly second fiddle to Mario Kart, but everyone I knew played it. Everyone had it. Um, after Mario Kart had been around for a little bit, this came out, I think, pretty late in the cycle, right? It was almost 2000. I'm going to have to go with South Park uh, as far as a cult classic. Fewer people, more fervent fan base. And say what you will about the GameCube color being a kid's console, the Nintendo 64 was certainly not uh, marketed towards adults. It is an uncommon franchise on an uncommon platform, and it was a great game. South Park takes this without any hesitation. Oh, folks, there you have it. The crowd goes crazy. Salva Cartman now peeing on the dead of Diddy Kong. Maybe we didn't think that one through thoroughly, but absolutely, South Park, I, I would agree. South Park is kind of, uh, for a cult classic, I, I remember playing the hell out of that game quietly with no sound. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> you obviously couldn't wait to get your hands on it like a crackhead. South Park, South Park takes it in bracket one. Bracket two. Tim, I think might be my favorite bracket. Yeah, this is probably probably the best matchup I think so far that I've seen because yeah. I've only seen one. Here so we, far. oh Tim, I've we've got we've got memories and stories because introducing the second bracket, Tim, it is stepping into the arena. Worms Armageddon. Ooh, Tim, yeah, this was a two D artillery turn based tactic video game developed by Team Seventeen and published by Tim. I am not joking. Hasbro Interactive, yeah, the company that makes toys, got into the video game industry. I don't remember Hasbro making anything other than maybe Armageddon. They did it under the Microprose brand. Also, don't remember. Yeah. And it was the uh, and it was a part, obviously, of the Worm series. Uh, the players controlled a team up to eight worms in combat against opposing teams, either AI or player based, and there were players. Let me tell you, using weapons both based in real-life weapons and ones that were a little more cartoonish. The players can customize battles, teams, maps, uh, near-infinite gameplay options. Originally meant to be an expansion pack, Worms 2, and initially titled Wormageddon, Worms Armageddon was released as a standalone game initially for the PC in 1999 and has been since ported over to other platforms. I actually have this on my phone. You can buy it. Apple, if you want to give us a sponsor, plug your apps. Uh, I played a lot of this game. A lot. The fact that you could customize your team names and every character on your team and the weapon selections. I mean, there was, what, 75 
90 weapons in this. Anything from Street Fighter Hadouken fireballs to ninja ropes you could swing around on, dropping dynamite, shooting mortars, exploding sheep, holding hand grenades. I mean, this game, this game was incredible. This was a great game. Awful to play by yourself, I feel like. But with four people now, I would, four I would teams disagree. going. I thoroughly enjoy playing it by myself. Gotcha. Especially when I'm at work pooping. Oh, that's super fair. I never yeah. pooped in a group, you know, growing up, especially with access to a 64. So I could certainly see yeah. the appeal in that. But when you had four people sitting around a Nintendo 64, each with four teams, some people ganging up, some people taking out grudges, this, this was a great therapy tool in addition to just its regular gameplay flow. Uh, Tim, you're absolutely right. And I would be remiss, Tim, if I did not tell the story of how we actually first met years and years and years ago. We went to the same youth center where Worms Armageddon got played on a regular basis. Beasts were settled yeah. yep. in Worms Armageddon. Uh, between that and the foosball table, which I did never, I never get touched. Uh, but Worms Armageddon, I decided, you know what? I'm going to make a name for myself. I am Ash Ketchum. I'm going to turn my hat around, and it's going to be go time. And I jumped on the uh, proverbial stick, I guess stick, but there's only one stick on the N64 at the time. I jumped on it. I was going to make a name for myself. And Tim, in what was argued very, very, very harsh, or not harshly, but agreed upon, I guess. Not argued, but it was agreed upon. In what was known as a defeat more glorious than D-Day itself, you stomped me for 35 minutes and straight trash. You pulled a full Betty White on me and just trash talked me to the point where I cried and left my N64 controller between my knees. You literally handed me my entire ass at the ripe old age of, I want to say, maybe 11. Tim, comment. I, I can't confirm or deny that. I have no memory of that. That doesn't sound like me, but I've been told I mean, that I would argue perhaps, that you are the nicest human being on the planet. I have been told that during certain games, I can get a little competitive. And uh, you know what? No, it probably was me. I'm a great smack talker, Chuck. And You absolutely are. I Very directly, I think we know two things. I'm great. And I'm great at everything I do. So, yeah, I probably stomped some little fucking kid into the ground and made fun of him. And uh, I just wish it hadn't have been you. Well, I'll, I'll be honest, Tim. I walked in there a boy, but I walked out a man. Uh, it, and I, I have to thank you for that. More because of just I, I never have been disciplined because of lack of attention from my father. Moving on, they're competitors, <laughs> Tim. Going up against Worms Armageddon, a game that, okay, I don't remember ever playing it, but it was once again produced by Rare and released on the N64 console in 2001. It was a platform game known as Conker's Bad Fur Day. Wow. Conker's Bad Fur Day stepping it in. I was not allowed to have this game. Most of my friends were not allowed to have this game. Kid down the street on the corner did have this game. Uh, I got to see it very seldom, but it lived up to its name. The, the brief images that you saw in trailers and commercials and stuff uh, made it seem like this game was all about a squirrel roaming around, pissing on things, drinking, and uh, having uh, comically large uh, breasts on a uh, flower. It was all there in, in spades. Not only that, one of the biggest bosses was a giant piece of shit that talked about and sang an operatic uh, song about how he was a piece of shit and how he was going to throw his shit at you. Uh, you even had to dig corn kernels out of some of the chunks to attack him back with. 
Uh, Jim, you are absolutely right, because Conker's Bad Fur Day was uh, part of the Conker series, the game that follows a story of Conker's the Squirrel, a greedy, heavy-drinking red squirrel who must return home to his girlfriend. Most of the game requires the player to complete compete in linear sequence of challenges that involves jumping over obstacles, solving puzzles, and fighting enemies. A multiplayer mode where up to four players could compete against each other in seven different games. Uh, game types was also included, designed for mature audiences only. Tim, I definitely remember that. From- yep. Congress Bad Fur Day featured graphic violence, alcohol, tobacco use, profanity, vulgar humor, and pop culture references. Of course, if you make a pop culture reference, Tim, you do get slammed with that M for mature. Congress Bad Fur Day was developed over the course of four years, although it was originally designed to be a fam for a family audience. Tim, the game was retooled into the current form because previews were criticized by being both too cute and too similar to earlier platforms of Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong 64. Hmm. Upon release, Conker's Bad Fur Day was acclaimed by video game critics who praised its visual appeal and smart humor. The game sold well, uh, so sold well below <laughs> research team sold well below expectations due to the uh, limited advertising and released towards the end of the N64 life cycle. Uh, It has has garnished arguably the only thing that the research team figured out was that the cult, it it did actually have a cult following. The remake, uh, Conker's Live and Reloaded, was released for the Xbox in 2005, and in 2015 the game was included as part of a Rare Replay compilation for Xbox One, but to be honest, Tim, fuck the Xbox. Wow. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say it. The only, there's only one Xbox I like, and it certainly isn't by Microsoft, Tim. That's the kind of humor you would get in Conker's Bad Fur Day. Uh, I, so I remember the commercials for this, <laughs> Tim. I remember it literally, like the commercials literally were just like, this is not an appropriate game for children. It might look like it is, but we promise, wink, wink, that it's not. That's about that's about all. I do remember the poop monster. I do remember uh, the poop guy. The great mighty uh, poop. I don't remember yes, I don't remember having to fish out uh, corn nuggets to throw back at him. Though it does sound like something you would have to do in this game. The question becomes to him, who ripped who off? Did they rip off Dogma or did Dogma rip off them? Because as we all know, this is not the only thing that had a shit monster in it. Of course, famously the strip the, oh, the yeah. was a strip club scene has the uh, shit monster. Which, of course, always got cut out from the uh, television version, which was the only way that I saw Dogma originally. So when I saw the, like, you know, normal theatrical released version, I was finally understanding why everybody was covered in brown stuff in the next scene. Yeah. I think, timeline-wise, that probably came out in the early 2000s, and this came out in the late 90s, correct? Or uh, This came out in uh, 2001. Yeah. 2001. So, oof, that's close then. I don't know. I assume that um, the shit monster in Dogma had some form of biblical reference, while the shit monster in Conker's Bad Fur Day um, was a more down-to-earth shit monster that didn't need uh, the cavalcade of of history and research behind it. It knew who it was, it knew what it was good at, and it knew how to survive. You're absolutely right, and Tim, more importantly, musical numbers. However, it did not have uh, Salma Hayek. Oh, that's true. It did not have Salma Hayek or Chris Rock. That's true. Uh, 
uh, absolutely true. However, it did have computer-generated giant boobies. Either way, we got the boobies, and that's what I like. Tim, we have to pick a winner. So stop thinking about the boobs. Start thinking about a winner. Congress bed for a day versus Worms Armageddon. Who is going on? Completely unbiased opinion, Tim. If I was allowed to have a biased opinion here, uh, Worms Armageddon would would go would blow right through. That game was incredible. I had a ton of fun with it. Hours upon hours upon hours spent in it. That said, this is not this is not the goat competition. This is not the which one did Tim France enjoy more. This is the best cult classic. Conquer's Bad Fur Day was a game you did not have colloquially you had to know someone who had it it was all spread through word of mouth you saw the commercials but you didn't believe it some people's parents obviously saw the commercial also didn't believe it bought the game anyway those kids were far and few between but those kids were the storytellers of our youth we experienced that game through going to their house and playing it or you know just lucking out and being able to watch someone play it as far as cult classics go conquer's bad fur day is the definition of a cult classic. Folks, there you have it. Conker's Bad Fur Day destroys those itty-bitty little uh, worms. I'm sure there was a dick joke in there someplace. I just missed it. Just like my act. <laughs> Moving on, Tim. The next bracket. We've got bracket number three. Tim, I believe a, a bit of a weird matchup here. We've got introducing first into the arena, Perfect Dark. Developed by Rare and released in, uh, for the N64, the game was released in 2000. God damn it. Research team, get my notes right. It was the first game of the Perfect Dark series, and it followed Joanna, 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 I'm not really sure, Dark, an agent of the Carrington Institute Research Center. That doesn't actually, I figured that was going to spell something. It doesn't. <laughs> as she attempts to stop an extraterrestrial conspiracy uh, by a rival corporation, Datadyne. Datadyne? Datadyne. Datadyne. Yep. I don't know. It was Datadyne? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game features a campaign mode where a single player must complete a series of levels under certain difficulty settings. It also had a multiplayer mode with the traditional uh, deathmatch settings and computer pay, uh, computer-controlled bots that were thrown in. Tim, this essentially was... Uh, the female version of GoldenEye 007, which is why I put it on the list. Well, and this was the uh, follow-up to GoldenEye too. So, like, right. Rare made GoldenEye, then they made this because they wanted something non-licensed. And they did a damn good job. I believe this they, game also required a, the expansion pack. It, it, you're absolutely right. It did. I, it may have been one of the first games that did require you to get this. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. Tim, do you remember how much that expansion pack cost back in the day? It was 60 bucks by itself, or you could buy a game that came with it. Oh. Kind of like how Star Fox came with the Rumble Pack. I cannot remember the game, but there was a couple games that had this bundled in with it. Perfect Dark may have actually been it. Oh, no shit. Okay. Interesting. I, I like I say, I had already had the expansion pack installed in my research, so I don't even know the diff, really. And as you have alluded to before, Tim, there was no difference. Upon it, release, of Perfect Dark received critical acclaim and solid reception overall, eventually joining the Nintendo's Player's Choice game selection. I do remember, I think that was the copy I had, because I did have a copy. I believe I got the Player's Choice version, which had a... Had the special gold like seal a, on it. Yeah, it had a special gold seal on it, and I feel like it was maybe a different colored cartridge, but don't quote me on that. 
I feel like maybe it was like see through or something. I mean, that sounds right. Yeah, I feel like I feel like that was a thing that happened, or maybe it was black because originally it was gray, and then they released it to a black cartridge, something like that. It was something. Else. It won a bunch of awards, and yeah, Tim, the thing that I I remember about Perfect Dark, two things: one, Joanna Dark or Joanna Dark, stupid hot. Even for like an N60, I mean, back at that as a boy who was going through puberty, skin tight outfits always a plus in my book. And actually, at 31, still going through puberty, skin tight suits always a plus in my book. And also, if Goldeneye had the golden gun, she had the laptop gun. Yeah, I remember being the biggest thing of that game. That game also had co-op story mode really one of the first of its kind. Uh, GoldenEye certainly developed the, the modern first-person shooter multiplayer. Perfect Dark did the same thing for co-op story mode. You are you are absolutely correct. I didn't have any friends because most of my friends would just trash talk for five minutes since Armageddon. So I pretty much only ever played by myself, so I never really had friends to try the co-op mode, but it sounds like it was a great time, Tim. Yeah. Wonderful. Tim, we have to pick a champion. Who's the second game? Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Man, all right, research team, this is getting this is getting a little far research, at this point. Research team, real fucked up. Banjo-Kazooie stepping up to take on Perfect Dark. That's right. Banjo-Kazooie was a video, platform video game developed. Tim, can you guess who the developer was? You know, it, it's probably... The, the development company that developed it is probably a company that, you know, really entitles things that are common. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. obviously, they are uh, responsible for Conker's Bad Fur Day. They're responsible for Diddy Kong Racing. They're responsible for, for a lot of things. Obviously, both of these games as well. Probably has got to be a, a developing company named something like Ultra Common, Super Common, Very Common, Definitely Not Rare. Something like that to, to show that, you know, not only were they in good form, that they were consistent and constant. Well, no, you dumb son of a bitch. It was Rare. Oh, rare shit. developed it originally for original release on the N64 1998. Tim, I was 10 years old when this game came out. The first game in the Banjo-Kazooie series follows a, the story of a bear named Banjo and a bird named Kazooie as they try to stop the plans of a of the witch Grundilda. Never heard of it. I don't. I okay. Gruntilda? I never actually played this game. Was is it Gruntilda? Gruntilda. Right? Yep. Okay. Who intends to steal the beauty of Banjo's younger sister Tootie mm-hmm. for herself? The game features nine non-linear worlds, so uh, pretty much just copying what every other kind of like sandboxy game had done. This was the era of sandbox games because we had Super Mario World 64, right? Super Mario 64. Super Mario 64, um, Banjo, or you had yep. Banjo Kazooie. You had uh, Donkey Kong 64. There was a lot Legend of, of platforming open world games at that time. Yeah, Legend of Zelda. Yeah, I mean that was that was the uh, that was the cool new thing that you could do with the technology. You were no longer limited to mostly 2D settings. You uh, you had 64 bits of 3D action. That's a lot of bits, Tim. That a lot is a of bits. whole, whole lot of bits. And strangely enough, it was originally conceived as an adventure game named Dream for the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Banjo-Kazooie was designed to appeal to players of all ages in a, sim- in a similar vein to Walt Disney Animation Studio film. It was huh. supposed to be on the so, Super Nintendo? 
apparently was originally supposed to be on the Super Nintendo under a game named Dream, tied in with Walt Disney Animation Studios. A lot of weird backdoor deals that seem to fall through between Nintendo and Walt Disney here. Um, Or Walt Disney and Rare, more specifically. Or Walt Disney, which is also possible, yeah. Yeah. Well, because Rare's had a, had a uh, spotty history. They Obviously, they were cranking out fucking winners for Nintendo and then got purchased by Microsoft and then rights were up in the air for everything and that's why we didn't see follow-ups to a lot of stuff. Uh, Rare has led a complicated relationship history. You're, uh, you're absolutely uh, correct. Uh, further on into this, actually, they talk about the fact that the game was remastered for the uh, Xbox 360 in 2008. Uh, also part and of the was Rare included, Replay. Yep, was part of the Rare Replay, and then re- apparently released for Xbox One in 2015, a sequel, Banjo-Tooie? Banjo- yep, Banjo-Tooie. Was released in 2000, which I don't remember that at all. I don't know what that was. What was Banjo-Tooie? Banjo-Tooie was Banjo and his sister Tooie. I, I never played it. I don't know the premise. I don't know if Kazooie was there or not there, but from the title, I'm going to guess uh, instead of Banjo and Kazooie trying to find Tooie, it was Banjo and Tooie trying to find Kazooie. Wow, they really came up with an original idea there. As you can tell, Tim, I'm not a big fan of Banjo-Kazooie, and I'll tell you why. I remember the the, the talking because there was just like uh, subtitles at the bottom, yes. and I was like, eh! Yeah, that's really fucking Tim. Yep. I don't know if you know that. There was a I'm lot not a of big that. Fan of it. Banjo. There was a uh, lot of that. Banjo Kazooie was one of the first games I got for my Nintendo 64, and at the time, to use the Game Shark, um, it used embedded codes from certain games as like a primer to get the codes into the game you wanted. And if you did not have the game that it needed as a primer, it would effectively lock your game shark from being able to be used until you put that game on top of it. Banjo-Kazooie was a super common one for this. To get codes in Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask, you had to put the game shark in and put Banjo-Kazooie in. Then you would take Banjo-Kazooie off the game shark and put on the game you actually wanted to play. I didn't... I let my friend borrow Banjo-Kazooie, and I remember running over to his house at probably like 10 or 11 o'clock at night in the summer, uh, when I was, whatever, 11 years old, pounding on his door to get Banjo-Kazooie so I could play any other fucking game because the Game Shark required me to put on that Banjo-Kazooie cart before I could put on the game I actually wanted to play. Wow. Cheaters Tim, never won back in those games, yeah. Yeah, so did you actually ever play Banjo-Kazooie or did you just use it as some type of weird cheap port to get to the better or high-ranked port? I, I certainly played a lot of it. Certainly didn't beat it, as you uh, alluded to. The uh, the voice acting or whatever it was that was just the same squeaks and, and fucking noises distorted and played over and over again as as uh, communication was awful. Just awful. It was some, it was, I remember sitting in my friend's basement and him playing this and being really bummed out that for like the next four hours until my team had picked me up, this is what I was going to have. Yeah. So my, my, but I remember like it's, to this day, gets a lot of like acclaim of how great that game was. Yeah, because I guess because it was. I mean, it was kind of the first game that was released on N sixty four for the most part. That was an original idea, right? Like Banjo Kazooie was not an was not a Nintendo character. Right, they were new characters. They hadn't been introduced yet. Right, right. Really, any game from that era was trying to replicate Mario sixty four. 
Mario 64 was groundbreaking, added literally a whole new dimension and made good use of it. Um, was a really quality game for that time. Banjo-Kazooie came out a few years later and, you know, jumped, used uh, Mario 64 as a jumping off point and kept that quality and kept that gameplay and kept that design and just that fucking voice acting. But yeah, this game was huge. Everyone had it. Everyone was playing it. It was a big deal. It was a very big deal. Now, the other reason why I remember hating it is because I hated the animation that went with when you could like do the hover fly thing with Kazooie popping out of your backpack. Mm -hmm. And for some damn reason, I don't know why I just saw that. And I just wanted to punch my friend in the back of the floor every time he did it because I couldn't stand the way it looked because it just was like horrifically disproportionate to how it should have been. And it was two people struggling, you know, there was no, Uh there was no grace to it at all. So compliment that or hate it. It was certainly true to form of a bear having a bird in a backpack that was trying to lift them both. Certainly animated that process. Very, what I would assume is accurately. But yeah, you're right. It looked atrocious. It was uncomfortable to watch. And it just looked like Kazooie was really confined to that backpack and couldn't leave regardless of how hard he tried. A captive. You're, you're, Tim, you're absolutely right. It pissed me literally write the hell off if i had the option i maybe maybe i will invest next season into the ridiculously expensive elite eight showdown real animator where we take non-fictional things non-real things and create them into real life and i feed them to betty white tim we have to pick a champion or no we have to pick a winner for this bracket man we have got a ways to go perfect dark versus banjo kazooie tim perfect dark uh hands down number one a little obviously it's the cult classic everyone played golden eye half of those people may have heard of perfect dark everyone's heard of banjo kazooie certainly not at the at the level of mario but incredibly popular game it was everywhere he was a fucking dlc character in super smash brothers he was a big deal Perfect Dark, not only the better game, not only more innovative, not only more going on, not only more groundbreaking, but also the better cult classic. Folks, there you have it! Perfect Dark setting up that laptop gun and straight shooting that dumb bird in the face. You can hear the cries in the distance as it gets mowed down. Tim, we're going to go ahead and clean the arena and take a little quick message from our sponsors. Our sponsors today, Tim Patreon. Patreon.com slash the professional casual. Let me make sure I said that right. I didn't. It's patreon.com slash professional casual. You can get amazing, great bonus content and show. That's patreon.com slash professional casual. Tim, on to the fourth bracket. Of course, thanks to all of our sponsors, both the ones that we have and don't have. Uh, we love you all. Tim, the fourth bracket. Are you ready? I am. Introducing the next contestant into the arena, we have Star Wars Episode One. Racer! Tim, a personal favorite of mine, this racing video game was based on the podcast, uh, the podcast, good God, Racer Chase! It's pod racing, you bastard! Sequence featured, of course, in uh, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. The game features all of the racers from the race course on Tatooine featured in The Phantom Menace. Tim, personally, I'll go ahead and say it, best scene in the entire movie. Mm. Yeah, I, I would I would argue, yeah, Annie, young Annie, young Annie, pod race, the best thing to ever happen 
to the Star Wars franchise. And I, of course, am a gigantic Star Wars fan. Tim, I have a Star Wars tattoo. That's true. Yeah. So, therefore, I know everything that there is to know about Star Wars. I mean, otherwise, they wouldn't have let you get the tattoo. So, that makes sense. That checks out. You don't need a You're research team for that right. one. You're absolutely right. And you know what? To be honest, Jar Jar Binks, not that bad. Mm. The game also adds several new courses, some on Tatooine, others on various planets. It actually, I will say this game did open up other planets that we kind of only had heard about or gotten to see. I think there was like one or two that we got to see in later games or later movies, but it was kind of like a nice little teaser very similar to how we saw in, um, what was that game? Oh, uh, Star Wars Battlefront with the Battle of Kashyyyk, Kashyyyk, or however you say it. Oh, yeah. Um, it, yeah, um, because it introduced the third movie, like, big climactic battle uh, on the Wookiee planet. We got to see that before the movie, and they kind of did, like, a very rough of what it was supposed to look like kind of thing. So this also opened up that gate for us to see things that haven't been actually in the movie episode one racer received general positive reviews from critics i mean it should several major media outlets listed it as the top star wars game in 2000 as of 2011 the game holds the guinness world record for the best-selling sci-fi racing game having uh, worldwide sales of 3.12 billion dinero doll hairs and beating the other series like wipeout which is uh wipeout is one of my favorite games of all time, and of course, F-Zero. Now, would you consider Wipeout a science fiction racer? Uh, no, I would not. Really? Well... And I think we're overlooking <sighs> probably one of the actual best science fiction, science fantasy racers of all time, the Biker Mice from Mars uh, racing game oh. for the Bi- Super Nintendo. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Biker- well, this is, however, Tim, the N64, so it would not have applied to this fight, but I do agree. Spectrum Master Mars really good. Also, it's Bastard Child over on the uh, PlayStation system. Jet Moto, I would argue, is definitely a sci-fi. And I remember that game selling like gangbusters. Yeah, I remember that game being everywhere. That's for sure. No, you're right. Yeah, because I, yeah, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, they actually had a Mountain Dew sponsorship in the game because they had Mountain Dew posters or something that maybe just looked like Mountain Dew posters. But I definitely remember something Mountain Dewey in that game. Me too. I, I, yeah, like vaguely. Two titles featuring Powder Racing were released after Episode 1, Racer. Of course, Star Wars uh, Racer Arcade, which you can still find in some shitty, beat-up convenience stores, in an arca- <laughs> which was an arcade. Uh, research team, give me a water. Damn it. An arcade game featuring similar tracks and characters and was released in 2000. The sequel to this game of Star Wars Racer Revenge was released in 2002 for the PlayStation 2, which I think I played because I had a PS2 and I vaguely remember playing it, but remembering it not being as good as Star Wars 1 Racer. Tim, my experience with Star Wars Episode 1 Racer was they had it for the longest time at our Walmart back when they used to set up and was never actually broken because people weren't horrible apparently when we were kids, Mm -hmm. when they would just break and not break the controller for no fucking reason would set up also to be fair the n64 controller indestructible but that's neither here nor there except for that joystick Um, in the middle that was always the first thing to go that's true some people would just rip it right out and then you were just screwed they had it set up at our walmart for like the longest time and of course the screen was uh like eight and a half feet in the air and you were right underneath it tim i still have neck problems from playing it (sighs) so much because my mom would just drop me off when she couldn't take it any goddamn more. 
she would just drop me off there. And if I got stolen, well, hey, that's how, that's how it goes. No, I remember that. I didn't, that was like the, they could go and do whatever they wanted, shopping and groceries and go see a movie and just, listen, let me hang out in the electronics section at Walmart or KB Toys and uh, play that demo console and it's a little bubble so you could see the n64 in there with the game in it and the controllers coming out but you couldn't quite get to it yeah there was nothing worse than you uh having to reset it and you had to go get the people who oh yeah clearly didn't give a fuck and you had to go get them to reset it for you so you the guy who's not going to buy anything anyway could play this fucking game for another hour right yeah good times i you know to be honest i missed it I miss it then. Yeah, same. I miss the good old days. Uh, I remember the animation being really, really good in this game. I mean, there wasn't a lot to it. They really captured the floatiness of the engines on front of the pod racer. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that being a thing. I also remember when you first started up the game, I believe it was a robot get electrocuted. I remember that being a thing. Uh, one of the, like, pod racer drones get, like, I think, shocked. Because I don't think it was Jar Jar Binks. I think the whole joke was, like, the movie had Jar Jar Binks. They couldn't afford Jar Jar Binks, so they just had a robot step in instead. Gotcha. I had to guess. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. But classic game. Also, if I'm not mistaken, Tim, there was a special edition that came out for this. It may have been a console, but it was gold. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember somebody telling me about this, and it was, like, a really big deal that, like, Star Wars Episode One Racer had this, like, special edition and i think maybe the console was gold or the cartridge was gold. oh Something yeah was gold. yep yeah apparently the goddamn research team couldn't find that in their stupid information could they bunch of bastards i don't know tim why do we have this research team they are awful Listen, they're literally the worst yeah guys seriously please check out the patreon uh patreon.com slash professional casual we pay these guys in three pounds of boiled peanuts per episode uh, they're not worth it We're going broke. Also, we have to drive to Virginia to get these boiled peanuts. And just the gas and and wear and tear on the cars, it's just a lot. Yeah, these guys are awful. Yeah, it's not even the close sighted. Folks, I'm not joking. It is the furthest point. We have to drive literally all through Virginia just to get these peanuts. So please head over to Patreon. Professional casual. Kick us a few bucks and you'll get some extra content. And more importantly, we can get rid of these goddamn bastards. Research. Don't look at me like that, Timothy. Don't look at me like that, Timothy. Tim, why do we have a guy also named Timothy on the research? We team should have known that music? that when their main liaison was a guy named Timothy, that they were going to be an issue. No one named. You can never trust the Timothy. Right, you can't. A lot of Tims are named yeah. Timothy. A lot of them are smart enough to know. You don't go by Timothy. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Tim France, the Timothy France that I know. Mm-hmm. Shut your fucking mouth, Timothy. Moving on. He, uh, Excuse me, Timothy? That's what I thought. Moving on, Tim, Star One Racer Competitor is my favorite game on the N64. We are talking about WWF No Mercy. Cue the, can, can we get, how much would it cost for us to get the Stone Cold Glass Break there? Would it be a lot? Can we fire Timothy and get the Glass Break? Um, we have we have that. I'll allow it, Tim. It's close enough. <laughs> it sounds like Stone Cold just came through because the professional wrestling video game was released in 2000 by THQ, the N64. It was based around, of course, World Wrestling Federation, now World Wrestling Entertainment, and was named after the company's annual event of the same name, No Mercy. Developed by Atmic Ace or uh, uh, Entertainment, which I don't remember, AAE, I don't remember them. And AKI Ration. No Mercy was the last in the series of the N64 
video games from the company that started with Tim, WCW versus NWO, for their competitor of WWF slash WWE. WCW no versus NWO World Tour was the first game for the Nintendo 64 that I saved up for myself and purchased. And the Nintendo 64 era of games were more expensive than current days games. That game was seventy nine ninety five. WCW it absolutely NWO was. I can and I can guarantee you, Hulk Hogan got the majority of that for no fucking. Yeah, putting that out there. I do remember. I remember WCW versus NWO World Tour. Uh, as Tim, both of us, humongous wrestling. So of course, of course, one of these games had to make it on. I played. No, I never played World Tour. I played Revenge, and yeah. I liked Revenge a lot better because I believe. Revenge was when you could finally go into the into the parking lot, the, in the back and stuff. Yep. Right. So I never played World Tour. My friend had World Tour, and it was really good. I, of course, I always played Crow Sting because that's all that mattered. I was always bummed that I never put in Surfer Sting. But you could make Surfer Sting. Funny enough, Tim, you could make Surfer Sting in No Mercy. If you if you did the Kreda character, you could get there. The the Kreda characters in these games, even back then, were just incredible. Pure fan, at the time. They were, yeah. I made myself constantly and always gave myself the picture of a super kick because it was the easiest move to pull off. Yeah. That's why I did it. No Mercy, no Mercy features various improvements to its predecessor from 1999 WWF WrestleMania 2000. Funny enough, Tim, WrestleMania 2000, the first live WrestleMania I ever watched on pay-per-view at my friend's house. It's not good. It's not a good WrestleMania. In fact, we should do Patreon potentially patreon exclusive content us just watching shitty wrestling but the uh wrestlemania 2000 was not great but it still holds a special place in my heart favorite match from that if anybody wants to go back and watch it the 24 7 uh, hardcore title defense which had just like a brawl and pete gas just crimson masks himself and is just gushing blood ever it looked like betty white straight kicked him in the dick and the blood gushed all the way up to his head that's how much he was bleeding. It was it was insane. Such improvements to the graphics, Tim. In a championship mode that allows players to participate in various storylines and more in-depth character creation mode. The improvements made to this game combined with the series vaunt series vaunted gameplay. That's a new word. Re- research team, are you making up work? Is that a make- I don't even know. We should have Dan and Danny on from the space between us. I saw a tiger. I believe. Um, also the space between here, presents. I saw a tiger. <laughs> yeah. Th- thank you, Tim. I'm not that far into my notes, so I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, <laughs> but Tim, they are great. They have dropped their as of uh, as of this recording. Tim, they have dropped at least the first episode. I big fan. So go check them out. Nonetheless, Tim, the game was faulted for its blocking graphics, low down to the and difficulty level of the computer based opponents. I do remember going. I was trying to win the world title, and I could not beat Triple H. Shocker, you couldn't beat Triple H because he buries everybody. <laughs> Wrestling. But uh, I actually tried to play, uh, finally to unlock the title so I could just wear it around my waist. I chose Triple H to go through the story mode, to which you had to play against Stephen Richards of The Right to Censor. And Tim, I got my ass handed to me by all, all people, Stevie Richards of The Right to Censor. I don't know why he was the default character to go to if you select Triple H, but it was. Overall, the game was critically well-received and would become one of the best-selling titles for the N64, period, end of sentence. Tim. Yes. Did you ever play it? Did you love it? Talk no. Talk about it. Nope. Never played it, but I feel like if you played 
four out of the seven wrestling games on the N64 that were WCW or WWF. You've played all of them. And so you're absolutely right. Uh, fun fact, it was the same engine for all the N64 games. Yeah. And, and they pretty much just reskinned them, except and, for when they introduced the Backyard Brawl. Right. And these the, were coming out like Brawl. every That's six our- months for the most part, too. Like, it was, I, I believe it, there was two of these games a year. And it would rotate yeah. WCW, WWF. They were all great, though. And they all actually legitimately had considerable improvements. Going from WCW uh, World Tour to Revenge uh, added in backstage fights, behind the scenes, in the uh, locker room, stuff like that. Like They were considerable uh, improvements on this versus every other yearly or semi-annual game, which adds usually just a roster update. These guys were normally adding massive, sweeping, impressive changes to the character creators, to the actual licensed characters that were being included, game types, modes. All, almost always wrestling games, similar to porn, are pioneers of new media and new technology, where they adapt it early, they adapt it often, and they really expand it so that everyone else can build off of their success. Tim, you're absolutely right, and I would have to I would have to uh, argue if anyone said it wasn't the like creepy stepmom porn of professional wrestling video games, WWF No Mercy. Tim, if you had to pick Star Wars Soul Racer versus WWF No Mercy, do you got? I had a lot of friends that were super into episode one pod racer. The movie was coming out, everyone was hyped. If you went to KFC or Taco Bell or Pizza Hut, you could get the little coins that you could save up and get prizes and this was a big deal episode one i do not like racing games and i am confused on why people play them if they don't have weapons if i'm not running through a block to be able to throw a turtle shell or to get a turret or to be able to throw a boomerang or something at someone else i am not interested this game did have weapons for one character sabulba so Bulba could do the little piece of shit move that he does in the movie where he throws a little explosive device into Annie's fucking pods. You could do that, but only if you were Sebulba. So for my birthday, I had a friend, Ryan Rodriguez, who brought this game over and everyone was so excited for it and everyone played it all night and I didn't care about it and I didn't like it. And Ryan played Sebulba all night and was blowing up everyone else's shit. And you couldn't have two of the same character selected. This game was bullshit. I hated it. And uh, I still hate it a lot. It ruined my birthday. On the flip side, I always hated the WWF. I was an a, a WCW diehard. Uh, I was a ride or die bitch. And if you didn't have Rey Mysterio Jr., I gave two shits about you. Um, so I hate both of these games a lot. But with that said... WWF is the clear winner. Not only is it a higher quality game, not only did it constantly innovate, this may not have been the best in the series and had certainly some complaints, but I am never one to back down from a challenge. And neither should have the little bitches that were complaining about the uh, AI difficulty being too hard in this game either. You, you better step up or get smacked up. And for that reason, I'm going to push ahead. WWF, no mercy. Folks, there you have it. You can smell what the Tim France is cooking. Tim WWF, no mercy advancing. Now, Tim, I will say that like uh, it, is, it is well known as the greatest video game on planet God dang Earth. I mean, I wouldn't say that, but I would definitely say that like everyone says that. But unless you played the game, unless you were a diehard wrestling fan, like you said, nobody gave two shits about it. So I can see why it has advanced. Now, Tim, I just, research team, keep it down over there. We've got the next semifinals, Tim. Moving right on, South Park. 
versus Worms Armageddon. Your childhood versus, I guess, technically your childhood, but more importantly, the game that you obsessed over versus the game you destroyed me at. Tim, who do you got going into this finals? First off, uh, I just need to direct a comment to the research team. Um, yep. Research team, this is live. We are recording this. Uh, this is incredibly important for you to have written down Worms Armageddon when Conker's Bad Fur Day is the winner uh, of that first round of bracketing is insulting and unprofessional. You're absolutely right. God damn it, research team. You are, you make us look like we're goddamn professionals. If anything, we are professionally casual. Yeah, now people are going to say that we're casually professional, and that's not the type of deal that we want out there. We are not casually no, professional. We are professional No, we're professional casual. casual. We are professional casual for the professional casual network. Timothy, I fully blame you. I think this is the reason why this entire show has gone off the goddamn rails. But, Tim, I, you know what? On behalf of the research team, Tim, I will apologize. Yeah, yeah. You sit over there and you think about what you did, research team. It is South Park versus Conker's Bad Fur Day. Tim, the game you were never allowed to play versus probably the show you were never allowed to watch. You got that is accurate. These two are so well suited to go against each other. First off, they're just perfect together for the exact reasons you said. Uh, I was shocked that my parents allowed me to rent the South Park game while Conker's Bad Fur Day was inconsiderable. No, no way, no chance, zero percentage that I was going to be able to purchase or rent that game. With that said, I think Conquer slightly edges out South Park. South Park was a great game, great shock value, uh, but Conquer really had the content that I was expecting in the South Park game that wasn't there. I, to, to be honest, Tim, I am, I am shocked. I am, I am awed. I am shocked and awed. Timothy just peed himself in absolute fear and amazement that Conquer's Bad Fur Day is going on to the god dang finals. But who would they be going up against Tim? It's Perfect Dark versus, was it, was it No Mercy? I think it was. Yeah, that's right. It is Perfect <laughs> Dark versus No Mercy. Timothy, better watch yourself. If you mark it wrong in the god dang thing again, Tim France, more importantly, the better. Who you got going on? Perfect Dark versus No Mercy. This one's tough. Perfect Dark, I feel, was always just on the cusp of being considered one of the greats. WWF No Mercy uh, wasn't even the greatest wrestling game on the 64. So this is tough, man. This is this is the toughie. Personally, I want to put through Perfect Dark uh, just because I enjoyed it more. As a cult classic, it never really got its full start. Even when they made a, a spiritual sequel on the Xbox 360, it was a launch game. It still didn't do super well. It was still super innovative, creative, uh, well-written, and, and well-programmed, but still just never, ever hit its stride. And I think that that really is what embodies a cult classic. Uh, on the other hand, there is no bigger, more rabid, more intense cult in, in video game and sports entertainment than wrestling as a whole. You get into it when you're a kid, you, under, you, you learn and you understand certain things about it, and most people always carry a little bit with that uh, inside them forever. So I feel like 
probably WWF No Mercy squeaks by Perfect Dark here simply because the cult is so strong uh, with the entire wrestling fandom. Folks, there you have Holy crap, the, the place goddamn erupted. WWF No Mercy. That's right. Stone Cold coming out to open a bunch of cans of whoop-ass on Timothy. Not Tim France, but Timothy. For sure, you better watch your ass, Timothy. Tim, uh, I can't believe it. No Mercy advancing on. Wait, I'm, I'm sorry. Timothy, Timothy, did you just say something to me? He said, quote, Tim, he said, quote, I can't believe that fake shit just be out perfect dark. You're fired, Timothy. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. He said wrestling is fake, Tim. I will not have that in the arena ever. Good. I appreciate that. We don't have to deal with Timothy anymore. Thank God. Patricia, you better watch your ass because you're next. Okay, moving on to the final, Tim. It's country's bad for day versus no mercy, Tim. This is the deciding factor. Who is going to move on to the GOAT? N64 bracket. We have Conker's Bad Fur Day, the game you were never allowed to play, versus the creme de la creme. The cream will rise to the top. The Hulk Hogan, the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Stone Cold of wrestling video games. If you can smell what it's cooking, it is WWF. Tim, we need a winner. Give me a winner. The winner of this one is thankfully a little bit easier. The the cult and the fandom of wrestling was certainly able to bring WWF No Mercy to the final round. But as far as the avatar of a cult classic, a game that could have been the greatest of all time if it had just a little bit better odds in its favor, is going to go to Conker's Bad Fur Day. Tim, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't say I was upset by it, but I completely have to agree with it. Tim, Congress back on to the GOAT N64 bracket. Don't let Timothy back in here if he finds out ever. That was his pick, Tim. We, we can't. I don't. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have that affect your decision. But it was uh, that Timothy's that pick. would have. Uh, I'm glad for the uh, integrity of this show that you didn't tell me because it absolutely would have affected uh, my decision. Yeah, yeah. I frankly, I don't. I'll be honest, Tim. He's he's kind of one of those employees that you work. If he finds out that he won, he's going to come back in here. Yeah. Yep. Get mine. I do. Yep, I'm a little worried. But there you go, Tim. We have it. We have a winner. Congress Bad Fur Day will be going on to a future show where we will crown the goat of N64 games. Once again, the crowd is cheering. That's right. For Conker's Bad Fur Day, congratulations to that that little wily red squirrel. Folks, if you like this show, please check out the other amazing shows here at the Professional Casual Network. Like the Space Between Presents, I Saw a Tiger? Yeah. Yes, okay. And Big Fiction Energy. Tim, tell them what is on the docket for those two shows? So, for uh, season one of The Space Between Presents, uh, I Saw a Tiger. Uh, we deep dive into the Tiger King miniseries on Netflix. Go episode by episode. We're even going to include the eighth follow-up episode that Netflix put out after the show ended, as well as the Hulu TMZ exclusive that added a lot more perspective to a lot of the things that happened throughout the show itself. Big Fiction Energy is a audio drama and dialogue of the creation process of the book Lanny, Girl Without Fear, as well as voice-acted chapters um, of that book as well, which is also available on Amazon. You can check both of those podcasts out, as well as the one right here on professionalcasual.com, Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever good podcasts are sold, and also on our Patreon, patreon.com slash professionalcasual, where you can find 
polls, which uh, people can give us some info on, you know, what's next and what they want to see and the outcomes of uh, certain effects or um, episodes. You can get some cool behind the stage things, bonus episodes, bonus clips, um, as well as our monthly uh, AMA, where you can ask the hosts of any of these shows really the their deepest, darkest personal fears or anything else that you'd like to know about them. A lot of awesome, great, cool content coming out regularly, coming out often, and uh, just coming out all over the place. Absolutely right. And Tim, that is no lie. AMA, I will answer anything. No question is off the table. I am not scared. I fear no man. I fear no woman. I fear no animal. I fear no question. The only person I have to say, okay, one person I fear is Betty White. She is just a murdering machine. But I sure as hell don't. I don't fear that son of a bitch, Timothy, that's uh, apparently waiting downstairs in the lobby to speak with us. That's <laughs> that. He has no idea, does he? I'll, I will release Betty White on him. Just like I would release my friends. Go check their podcasts out. My friends, and hopefully soon, direct my podcast. Jordan, Cam, Craiger, and Joe relive things from their uh, child's past and nostalgia and see if it, in fact, does wreck their podcast. And my friends, break their pain over the Power Hour, where they talk everything from wrestling to video games to comic books to uh, toys, which I've thoroughly been enjoying their segments, uh, different action things like that. Of course, as well as an interview each week for the most part. I hopefully will be on their show soon. We'll have them on as a guest as well so we can be properly introduced to them. With that being said, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and squirrels, I have been your host, Big Chuck, for Tim, the Tim France France. We say goodbye, stay safe, and remember to leave the blood on the bracket. This has been Elite. Eight Showdown.